how, why and when did radical Islam and the left unite into an unholy alliance? Who started it? Who funded it? What were the parameters? Who are the enemies? And where is it headed? That's what we'll discuss today. And I lived during the feminist movement. I absorbed the very important principles of classic liberalism, free speech, women's rights, equal rights, human rights, such simple ideas. Well, the orthodoxy in Islam does not believe in any of those ideas. They believe in blasphemy laws. They believe in talaq, 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 three de declarations of I divorce you and a man is divorced from a woman. They do not believe that a non-Muslim is equal to a Muslim. You know, so these are such fundamental violations of classic liberal ideas. But in my lifetime in the United States, I have been so disappointed watching the left and even liberals and now even the Democratic Party abandon these ideas, but many did not. And they were coming from Muslim organizations with names like Tablighi Jamaat, you know, the missionaries, uh, the Ikhwan Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, these, these, these uh, Muslims who believe in political Islam, who believe in an Islam that should run the country, an Islam where the law of the land should be Islamic. And that was the uh, the 1980s as critical race theory is developing. These, these men establish organizations in the United States, an entire network. I live in Northern Virginia. They started an entire hub at this uh, building at 500 Grove Street in Herndon, Virginia. And there they created this alphabet soup of organizations with names like Islamic Society of North America, Muslim Students Association, Council on American Islamic Relations. The Saudi government had sent suitcases of this Quran. Now it is actually a blasphemy in my eyes to put this interpretation out in the world. And you can see here, who is it coming from? What's the city? Al Madina. Okay. So this is coming literally from the government of the Saudi Arabia, and they call it the Noble Quran, right? All of a sudden, they started using words against me like monafic, which is a punish. It's a it's a smear worthy of a death sentence. What does it mean? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. And it means that you have deceived your religion, and this is a lethal word. But they used it as I started to confront them over the last, this is my battle because I'm a Muslim. Um, you know, as somebody, even in my family, we know 14 generations ago that on my father's side, our ancestor was named Thakur Suraj Singh, a really great Muslim name, right? Thakur Suraj Singh, which state, did he rule roughly? Where? Yes, we know exactly where, where he lived. We, he lived in village of Bindwal outside of Azamgarh in Azamgarh district. In Uttar Pradesh. In Uttar Pradesh. So 14 generations ago, we know this story. you were Hindus. Yes. Namaste. So we're going to do one more episode, Asra and myself. We already introduced her as a, a very important voice for feminism within Islam. 
uh, a person, the, the person who was very close to Daniel Pearl in Islamabad in, and in, in, uh, in uh, Karachi uh, when, before he died. The very famous saga of what happened to this important Wall Street journal, uh, journalist uh, who went to uh, Pakistan to cover and uh, got into some investigative details about some bad guys. And so then they managed to kidnap him and kill him and all that. And so she was the person there uh, who knows the whole thing and uh, uncovered it, helped the investigators get to the bottom of it. And she was a friend of his for a very long time. And as a result of that trauma, she changed her posture towards Islam. This is, th this is what we discussed in a previous episode. What I want to talk about now is something completely different. Islam has an alliance with the left. That's a very important thing to talk about. There is a term Islamo, uh, Islamo leftism, hyphenated. Yes. So that's a very interesting term. So, uh, and I want to talk about, I'll give you my research and all that and get your ideas on it. And we'll both compare notes on that. And then we'll see uh, whether that alliance is authentic right. or whether it's actually full of contradictions. Yes. And what are some of the contradictions? Right. And then we'll talk about, you know, what to do about it. Yes. So, because you have done a lot. In we're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it I out. Know. So, we're going to explore that. Yeah. There are several deep, uh, irreconcilable contradictions between orthodox radical Islam on the one hand and the leftist agenda on the other hand. Yeah. But these seem to have been covered up in some kind of a unholy alliance. Yes. And it's important to figure out. Uh, why this alliance happened and what are the contradictions in it. Right. So I want to just compare notes with you. Yeah. So, you know, one of the uh, moments which is very important is 1970s when the Shah of Iran, right. uh, the Shah of Iran and his, analysis, his uh, alliance with the United States is considered sort of the pinnacle of, dictatorship, of dictator, dictatorial Islam on the one side and uh, uh, capitalism, American capitalism uh, for the sake of oil. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is a great uh, you know, story. They want to topple this. The leftists want to topple it. Right. And some of these leftists are in England and they're hatching plots against it. And some of them are in France. Right. And of course, the, uh, the Islamic uh, mullahs want to topple it yeah. because uh, Shah of Iran is a bad guy. Right. So there's a common enemy. There's a common enemy there. Yeah. And the term... Um, uh, Islamo-leftism uh, gets uh, in circulation and according to the uh, Wikipedia article, it's of uh, Persian origin, this kind of term. There was a Persian equivalent and then it became known as Islamo-fascism. So it seems that one of the starting points was the Iranian revolution, which brought these two uh, anti-capitalism, anti-US forces together. Common enemy. Common, common enemy, right. that's right. one thing. And then the other thing is that France uh, became uh, a, a place where a lot of Muslim immigrants were going. Right. Um, so the left had lost it, was losing its traditional constituency, which is the proletariat, the poor people, the white masses. They were no longer into this communism and all that because of um, forces of you know, capitalism, free market, yeah. other kinds of politics in France. So the left started looking at immigrants as a source of power, mm -hmm. as, a, as a source of their 
sustenance uh, because there weren't enough born white French people who were following them. Right. So this alliance also has that component History, in it. Yeah. That, that uh, uh, Muslim immigrants into France uh, were easy to collaborate with from the left side. Right. As far as the Muslims are concerned, uh, the Muslims found that the leftists were uh, easier to deal with. They were, they were more open to talk about them because they were also talking about oppressor, oppression. Mm -hmm. right. And Islam is full of this idea of uh, victimhood, uh, this idea that you, know, that you have to overthrow something. Uh, so, uh, and, and one, more, uh, uh, one more interpretation that I read quite a lot is that the leftists found that um, uh, Islam can be turned into violence. And they learned that in the in the uh, Iranian Revolution, and they learned that it, it can it lends itself, it has the ingredients in itself yeah. to because there is this idea of revolution there, yeah. and the left leftists also have this idea of revolution. So each side started thinking they're going to use the other. Right. Uh, the 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 Muslims, uh, uh, you know, they they were they had this ja uh, dictator. Uh, the Shah, right. and they wanted to overthrow him. They didn't have the means to do it, yeah. and they need somebody else to help them. And lo and behold, this somebody else is the left that also hates America. So it's, it's interesting, and they feel that they're using the left to uh, help spread Islam. That the left will help them dismantle the order, the right. existing order, yeah. and then it'll pave the way for Islam. Right. But the left has its own ideas that they're using the Muslims as useful idiots, some of them call, right. that we, we're using these guys to overthrow and create problems and revolutionize and all that, and they'll kill each other. Right. But in the end, uh, we'll have a, a, a kind of a world, uh, you know, order of uh, communism or left kind of yeah. stuff. They think, they each think they'll prevail. Each thinks that, you know, we're kind of uh, using the other as a right. tactical thing. Right. What do you think of this artificial uh, alliance that these two uh, brought about. Yeah, I think about the faces of the women of Iran who were living before the mullahs came in 1979 and took power. They were women who were living like I am, with their hair free, walking freely in society. And unfortunately, in that movement, they aligned with the Islamists, as we call them. We call the Muslims, Muslims like my father and my mother who practice Islam in their private life. And then we have this new term of the Islamists, right? Muslims who believe in political Islam, who believe in theocracy. So there was the Ayatollah Khomeini living in Paris, sending his propaganda to the world. And unfortunately, the feminists and the leftists, they fell for this alliance. And they were the first ones to become shackled and executed and murdered by the theocrats. Because who won? The Muslim theocrats won. And now, how many years later, four decades later, the society still lives with the Muslim extremists. So the question the power. here is, uh, Islam had its own feminist movement at the time. Yes. That's what you're referring to, in Iran and places like that. Yes, in, in India. But in the left, Pakistan, the left right. betrayed that. Yeah. So, so that, that's an interesting point that has to be, um, the, has the left faced this and confronted it and acknowledged that they 
in, in the name of this alliance with Islam, actually the, the, the people who got slaughtered were the women. Yeah, the women were slaughtered and yes. then they too were slaughtered because yes. nobody is safe. You right. know? And so they were making a deal, like you said, thinking that they would be the final victors but they are still imprisoned or dead. Now what's happened today, four decades later, is that the women of Iran are fighting for very simple ideas. Woman, life, freedom. Zan, zindagi, azadi. And those principles have been betrayed by the far left. And not only the far left, but liberals and Democrats in the United States, because they have perpetuated this unholy alliance. So the, uh, the alliance with orthodox Islam takes precedence over liberalism's yes. honest, true, claimed ideas that they've yeah. claimed. They've compromised those. It means there's a hypocrisy. Such a hypocrisy. Like I came to the United States at a young age, at the age of four, and I lived during the feminist movement, I absorbed the very important principles of classic liberalism, free speech, women's rights, equal rights, human rights, such simple ideas. Well, the orthodoxy in Islam does not believe in any of those ideas. They believe in blasphemy laws. They believe in talaq, 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 three de declarations of I divorce you and a man is divorced from a woman. They do not believe that a non-Muslim is equal to a Muslim. You know, so these are such fundamental violations of classic liberal ideas. But in my lifetime in the United States, I have been so disappointed watching the left and even liberals and now even the Democratic Party abandon these ideas when it comes to the Muslim establishment. So let's come to that. Yeah, let's discuss this in detail. Uh, I want to roll back uh, now. We discussed the rise of this uh, left and uh, Islam alliance in Europe. Now let's talk about the United States yeah. also. I think the United States undergoes something very interesting which few people realize and that is Marxism arrives here after World War II. Right. Because of Marcuse, Herbert Marcuse and people like that. And uh, previously, Marxism was economic. It was talking about haves and have-nots based on economic categories. Yeah. Not race and not religion. Right. And so what they did in the United States is they found out that Americans do not want to fight capitalism and free market and the economic argument doesn't work. Right. So they reincarnated, reinvented, put Marxism in a new bottle yeah. with a new, new packaging and they turned it into race, haves and have-nots. Right. So this is actually a very big turning point, which stays, which stays underground for a while. Yeah. So the critical legal studies starts right. between 1977 and 82 uh, in places like Harvard yes. in a very serious way. And, uh, and uh, this is the study of uh, American law as being unjust and biased towards blacks, uh, against blacks and so on with a lot of merit, a lot of good points they made, which I sympathize with. Uh, and this business about the, how the, from the very origins of the United States, there is, there is a sort of a white supremacy built into structures and these structures are hidden. They're not always visible. Right. And so uh, the invisibility of white supremacy is part of this whole thing. 
And then this turns into critical race theory. Yeah. Now, this is all Marxism, you know, because it deals with oppressors versus oppressed. It deals with grand narratives that have to be deconstructed. It deals with thesis and antithesis. Uh, there is no uh, compromise you have to destroy. It is total dismantlement. All that is part of is the Marxist uh, view yeah. being expressed, but now in terms of race. So now it gives the anti-racism a very intellectually respectable theory, right. a theoretical framework. Now it's no longer just activists doing things, yeah. but there is a theory behind it. You can teach it in universities, you can get PhDs, you have professors in Harvard and all that who are into this area. So now this respectability of critical race theory in academic circles becomes important. But it remains academic until George Floyd. And then that really erupts the whole thing. Yeah. Because now everybody is sympathetic. Right. And so this sympathy for the plight of the blacks is, is a big opening and that door opens and in comes this whole critical race theory to kind of come up with a theoretical foundation to explain all this. And America buys it, it's being it starts getting taught everywhere, the media takes over. So this sort of a very interesting thing, the Marxist takeover of America. Right. Now this is particularly important, there are certain seeds being planted during the Obama administration, which yeah. is before Floyd, Yes. and you should talk about it. And also, also the Democratic Party get hijacked. Yeah. The whole Democratic Party, the progressive wing, which is what's running the show now, um, uh, has turned into this and what is popularly called woke. Yeah, and so while you've got this Marxism becoming hijacked and used with different goals and objectives in the United States, you have another parallel movement happening. And, you know, my father came to America in the 1960s and so did many other Muslims. My father refused government funding from overseas, from governments like Saudi Arabia, Qatar later, uh, even Pakistan. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, but many did not. And they were coming from Muslim organizations with names like Tablighi Jamaat, you know, the missionaries, uh, the Ikhwan Muslimin, the Muslim Brotherhood, these these, these uh, Muslims who believe in political Islam, who believe in an Islam that should run the country, an Islam where the law of the land should be Islamic. And that was the, uh, the 1980s as critical race theory is developing. These, these men establish organizations in the United States, an entire network. I live in Northern Virginia, they started an entire hub at this uh, building at 500 Grove Street in Herndon, Virginia. And there they created this alphabet soup of organizations with names like Islamic Society of North America, Muslim Students Association, Council on American Islamic Relations. But the thing is, these Muslims were practicing an interpretation of Islam that was not very compatible with liberal ideas. And I have one example for you. Please. Okay, so I wanna show you what I grew up with. Okay. Okay, this was the Islam, while we've got critical race theory emerging, this is the Islam, this is an actual Quran that was brought to my hometown mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia. So I'm gonna show you. First, this is Surah 
Al-Fatiha. Okay? okay, let me read it. Okay, great. Read it. Okay. Uh, this is not the first time I've read the Quran, by the way. Okay. I have a copy of the Quran, Princeton University Press. I oh, mean, that's right. That's uh, right. I, I don't know whether it's, you agree with it or disagree, right. but they considered a Princeton University Press yeah. production. And I read it from time to time to understand. So, this is um, all the praises and thanks be to Allah, the Lord of the Alamin, the most beneficent, the most merciful, the only owner of the day of recompense. Uh, you alone we worship and you alone we ask for help. Guide us to the straight way. And can I just stop you for a yeah, second? Because yeah. I just want to stop on that sentence because my mother taught me this chapter. This is the first chapter that we learn as Muslim children. And what a nice idea, right? Guide us on the straight way. Simple idea. What parent doesn't want to teach that to children, right? So it's a very uh, universal concept. Okay, but keep reading now. But I want to ask you. Yeah. So it says that you alone we worship. Now right. the word alone means exclusivity. Yes. Okay. So now the question is, the huge billion dollar question is, when I worship Krishna, right? Okay, exactly. Is it the same entity, exactly? Okay, or not? And then, can I ask okay. you this? Okay. When you look at that, how is alone in there? How in, is in, it? You it, alone is in parentheses. It's in parentheses. Yeah, but that means that it it is available for interpretation. Exactly. So you can you can put it there or not put it there. And they have put it there. Yeah. Okay. They put it there. They so, put it so there. The so the fact that a large interpretation of Islam through, throughout its history has claimed Allah and Allah alone. Right. So the question is, is Krishna and Allah, is Allah just a new name because right. Krishna is much older? Right. Uh, or is it punishable? Or, or, or is it not? Because if, right. it, if it's the, it not, and is it, is it then, I mean, when you go into the most illiberal of ideas, is it something that ISIS can justifiably kill somebody who well, does the not issue practice of, it? Well, the issue of, uh, the issue of what to be done comes later. Yeah. The first issue is, is it the same or not? Right. Because if you're worshipping Allah and I'm worshipping, say, Krishna, right. and, I, and we are both worshipping the one person who is the supreme person, but you, have, you call him Allah and I call him Krishna. If, if these are different, right. then the question comes what to do about And so we know that oftentimes the Muslim apologists will say, Oh, you know, the monotheistic religions, at least, they all, we all come from the same Abraham, right? So let's make it even simple, your question. And let's say, does you alone even include Jews and Christians? Let's, let's ask that as a that's first a, that's question. A, that's, a, that's a much simpler much question. Much simpler, right? But mine is more complex yeah. because not only, not only is it non-Abrahamic, right. but the, the description of Krishna is not the same at all. Right. And then, and then you add to it all, not all only the different Krishna, forms, all but the Durga, and, right? Innumerable forms right. of the one, right? Innumerable forms and intelligences so, and shaktis right. that are all characteristic of that one. Yes. So we have a very profound theology, which says that ultimate reality is of course one, but it has a whole lot of forms and manifestations. And different ones appeal to different people. Yes. And you could be connected with a particular one, and I could be connected with a different one. There's nothing wrong with it. Right. So if so, the way this lends itself right. is for a radical person to to dismiss me as right. being illegitimate. Exactly. That's what they allow here. Now let's keep reading. Okay. So now it's going to get very interesting okay. for you. Okay. 
So there you are, and you've said that you alone, we worship, okay, and then keep going. And you alone, we ask for help for each and everything. Okay. Guide us to the straight way. Great. Okay. All right. Yeah. So the way of those to, uh, on whom you have bestow, bestowed your grace. Wonderful, right? Yeah. Okay. Now let's turn the page and dun, dun, dun. What does it say? Not. Not the way of. And the way is again in parentheses, so they've added it. Mm -hmm. Those who earned your anger. Period. That's it. Those right. who earned your anger. That's how it ends. Okay. Okay. But now, what have they added? Such as the Jews. <laughs> there uh, you go. Not of those who went astray, such as the Christians. They added them. And how is such as the Jews? In parentheses. How is such as the Christians? But also the Hindus and, and then, the Buddhists. That's and why I said everybody else. That's why I said you don't even mention the complex question of the Hindus and the Buddhists. They can't even accept the Christians. This Quran, I got this literal Quran from my mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia, because the Saudi government had sent suitcases of this Quran. Now, I so, told you the Saudi so government. Is, what, I gave what, you a clue. So what is clever? What is clever is this use of parentheses right. so that when you get in trouble, the Saudi guy who is teaching all this can say, oh, no, no, the parentheses, you don't worry about it. Right. And but, but then when the, when the cameras are not there yeah. or when the, when the Westerners are not looking and he has the audience of his own people, yes. he can radicalize them by including yeah. what's in the parentheses. So you can include and the parentheses, radical idea, exclusivity idea, hate idea, or you can exclude it by saying it's parenthetical in, when, you want, when you want to be politically correct. Yeah, and that's how they fool the So is this, is this called, called al-Taqiyah? You know what al-Taqiyah yes, is? Yes, I do know what it is. And the al-Taqiyah is deception. Deception that says, basically it says that uh, when you are in a minority yeah. or when you, are, uh, when you are on the back foot, then use al-Taqiyah to be very nice and yeah, to, you know. Yeah, it is, it is. And we have to be honest about that and that's why I think it's really important to walk around with this Quran and say this is a part of our problem and it is actually a blasphemy in my eyes to put this interpretation out in the world. And you can see here, who is it coming from? What's the city? Al Madi Madi Madina. Madina. Okay. So this is coming literally from the government of the Saudi Arabia, and they call it the Noble Quran, right? So this is just... And it's by this professor right. somewhere. PhD, professor this, Professor of Islamic Faith and Teachings, Islam, Islamic University, etc., etc. So this is such an illiberal idea. And this is one in which this alphabet soup of organizations, they were accepting, they have been accepting money from these governments that have been putting these very illiberal ideas. And we know this, like our common sense. We see that women were not allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia for so many years. Uh, somebody can come from India and be a laborer, but are they allowed citizenship? You know, are, they're denied fundamental human rights. And then women do not get the equal rights. Treatment. So I want to ask you, is it true that uh, uh, the surahs written uh, in Mecca and the ones written in Medina are different in the sense that one are 
really beautiful hum love for humanity and yeah. so on, and the other are about uh, warfare. It is true. And, like, and, and is it that because in, in one situation, Muhammad faced enemies, he, he needed to organize people, make a military uh, training out of it, yes. kind of a military doctrine yeah. for fighting purposes. And in the other case, he was more, uh, there were, things were peaceful around, there was nobody to fight. And so there was more about harmony within. Yeah. Is, that, uh, is that reasonable? Yeah. So, but it was there in Mecca that the Prophet Muhammad was first doing his proselytizing. So he needed to have an attractive religion that was, you know, bringing people positive ideas. And then he did the journey to Medina after he became a threat to the Al Quraysh tribe that was there. And that's when the later Medina verses came. And I'm going to show you, can I show you an example? And because this example is... But do they, do they, do the... Do the Muslims, uh, are they self-reflective of this? Because when they come on CNN and they come right. on all these liberal exactly. things, they, they quote the ones from Makkah right. and they say it's all fi fine. Uh, the, the journalist and the interviewer rarely bothers to ask them, hey, listen, this is one part of the Quran. Right. What about this other part of the Quran? So that's so, what so happened it, for me yeah. is I would go and confront them and with the truth of this war that we're in within Islam to about which interpretation will prevail and what I discovered was all of a sudden they started using words against me like monafic which is a punish it's a it's a smear worthy of a death sentence what does it mean hypocrite hypocrite and it means that you have deceived your religion and this is a lethal word but they used it as I started to confront them over the last 20 years with the reality of this interpretation so that they could discredit me. I didn't realize exactly what they were doing, but they were being sneaky because they were trying to fool the left and the liberals and the Democratic Party. And in order to do that, they had to discredit people like myself. You might have heard of the, I know you've talked about the ex-Muslim Ayan Hirsi Ali. You know, Azudi Jasser, different people who have spoken up with courage, many people from even the Arab world, Pakistan, India, Muslims that have challenged it. Asghar Ali Engineer was this great Muslim reformer in Bombay who would always cheer me on, but who would oppose him? The mullahs. And so we, we ended up in that struggle, you know, trying to it was so confusing to me. How could these liberal Democrats? But you know, I'll tell you something. This? My experience with the liberal Muslims has been that there are those that you are the only one I know, or let's say I can count on my fingers, who will be public and openly saying what she believes. Then there's another kind who will privately say similar things, but they don't want to be on the record. Right. Then there's an even bigger kind who will go this way and that way, depending on who they're talking to. Yeah. So when they are with one group of people, they are really apologists and they are really defending every little thing. Right. And, and whatever is contrarian to the liberal view, which is part of the tradition also, one has to point it out, yeah. they will deny it and they'll say, no, 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 that's a wrong interpretation. You didn't understand it. Right. You don't know it. Or they start hitting you, accusing you and yeah. all of that stuff. So, and then there's, of course, those who are very consistently Orthodox and radical. Yeah. So, in in one sense, 
the con- those who are consistent and open They're and publicly right. radical are at least being true to themselves. To the, I mean, they, we don't like them. They yeah. are bad people. They're going to create violence, but they tell you what, here is who I really yeah. am. The ones who are hypocrites and who are playing this game of public, pub, right. in public it's this, in private it's that, public versus private, and in front of whom you are saying, and that dance they are doing, yes. they are really dangerous people. Very. Yeah. And so disturbing. And what would happen is I would confront them and they would say to me, and I'll give you one example. I started writing about this issue and confronting the interpretations because it's this interpretation, this first interpretation that you just read, that was used to have a character assassination on my friend Danny Pearl, Mm. because Danny was Jewish. And when you demonize the Jew and the Christian, you then go down that slippery slope where you can then kill them, right? Mm. And so this was very personal to me. Like I, I was saying, very, I took this as my mission then. And I met this scholar by the name of Akbar Ahmed. I know Akbar Ahmed. Do you know him? So first you tell me your view and I'll tell you my story. Oh my gosh. You know, I thought, <clears throat> okay, he went to my, he taught at my alma mater. I went to American University. I studied there under an Iranian professor, Hamid Molana, who introduced me to the propaganda of the Ayatollah Khomeini. So then, Fast forward many decades, and I see now the propaganda of the Saudi government. And I want to confront it, and I see it. And I see in him a, you know, important academic. He talks a lot about He used to be the U.S. Yes. High Commissioner to Britain. Yes, the Pakistani. Pa- sorry, the yeah. Pakistani High Commissioner to Britain. Yes. And after he retired, he became a visiting professor at Princeton University. Oh. That's when I met oh, him. Oh, I forgot and, about and, that and part. And we became friends. Okay. We became friends. He used to come here. We used to meet and all that stuff. And he wanted to meet, the, at that time, the head of the Chinmay Mission because he wanted to uh, get have a collaboration discussion with uh, Hindus. Okay. Uh, and he brought in the Indian ambassador. So he wanted to be this, continue his diplomacy. Right. Uh, here at Princeton University. Yeah. And uh, uh, so I have a lot to tell you about it. He's the one, he's the one who, uh, one day he says, I'm going for a book launch. Oh, uh-huh. uh, and, and you come along. And mm-hmm. I said, what is it about? And he said, we are giving an award for the best book of the year on Islamophobia. Oh my gosh. So I said, what is Islamophobia? (laughs) And he's the one who told me about it. And I said, well, you know what? He said, because people are criticizing it unfairly and people are giving all kind of scary things about it. So I said, well, then in that case, we should have Hinduphobia. That is how I came up with this idea. So then I started, I Googled and there was no Hinduphobia search hit. At the time. Yeah. Uh, later I found out that somebody had used the term Hinduphobia 100 years earlier, wow. but not in the same context. And about when was that? Which year? So this was, uh, I would guess, uh, must be 1980s sometime. Oh, yeah, 1980s or 90s here wow. in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, you can look up when he was a visiting professor in New Jersey. Yeah. Uh, so at this, is, this is really important then because... And his sister yeah. does a lot of good work in the Northeast, in the, in the uh, Northwest provinces. Oh, right. Uh, for women. Yes. And yes. she knows a lot of the uh, Indian Pakistani people in this area. Yeah. And she raises funds for them. That's great. So Akbar Ahmed called me many times to give a talk in his class at American University. Oh, nice. Throughout the 90s, I used to go there almost every year. Wow. And address his class and talk to them about it. And he let me say whatever I wanted yeah. to say. 
so he, interesting character. So that's really important. Now, for who funds people? him? But it's a revelation when you told me that the Saudi some who funds well, him. Well, unfortunately, now what I've seen is that he is working with the organization in that alphabet soup of names I told you. It's a center on democracy and Islam. It sounds sounds nice. great. Sounds very nice. But it's just a front organization for these Muslims who want political Islam in countries. So they want to pretend democracy yes. and get in the door. Yeah. And what kind of democracy is that? That is the Iranian style democracy of theocracy. And theocracy is just dictatorship. And theocracy is not about liberal values. It is not about liberal democracy. So are they willing to go public and in the true democracy sense, demand that, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia be a democracy in terms of everybody well, above 18? They would love it. You know why? I'll no. tell you, this is the tension. Because Saudi Arabia has a tension in its royal family of the people who want this kind of strict interpretation of Islam and those who want to reform a little bit, at least. And the ones who are the Muslim Brotherhood type are using this democracy example as a way to overthrow those. So it's, it's the same idea. Use useful idiots yes. to overthrow your enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Not because you really espouse that ideology, right. but it's useful for you to fight your enemies. And we've seen it before, and um, the world saw it with the Arab Spring, mm. because this was a liberal movement yes. hijacked in Egypt then by the Muslim Brotherhood. And who was front and center supporting the Muslim Brotherhood? None other than President Obama. So tell us about President Obama in this whole context. So there we are. It's 2008 and then he has arrived and I voted for President Obama. So did I, twice. Yeah. I loved the fact that we had... Finally, this, a black president. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I supported him all the way. Yeah, and I thought... But I was disappointed later. Right, and I thought that he espoused these classic liberal values, right? And that he was going to be morally consistent about it. But where was the first place that he sacrificed it? Among Muslims. And that was honestly like me heartache for like me. I'll tell way? you is the Arab Spring happens, and who is it that gets elected? The Muslim Brotherhood. This man by the name of Morsi gets elected. President Morsi, he becomes. And who is front and center? The Obama administration and all of its chief staffers. It's, it's, they, they help write the speech. They are there like emissaries. But what is the Muslim Brotherhood? The Muslim Brotherhood is an illiberal interpretation mm. of Islam. I'm going to give you another example. You told me about the Mecca Medina verses, right? So here's, this is Egypt, but they still have this interpretation of Islam. This is chapter 9, and it's verse 6, okay? And again, if you read, it says... And what? if anyone of the... Mushrik. Mushrik, Mushrikim. Yes, and I'm not going to have you read the parentheses right now. The polytheist, idolatry. Oh, you pagans. read it. My God, it's you, all people like me. So this is okay. the parenthetical phrase. Parenthetical, I'm, yeah. I'm a kafir. Yeah. Because I, I'm a kafir. And Mushrikim. I should have a t-shirt uh, saying kafir. 
Kafir lives better. Um, or you could say unapologetically kafir. You could be really... Kafir lives better. Right. So this is so important because, and if any one of the mushrikeen, and they put, they explain to so you... So mushrikeen means like bad guys. Bad so people I'll tell you mean. exactly what it means, but how they interpret it is they put in parentheses, just like the Jews and the Christians in the first verse, they put polytheists, and then who else? Idolaters. Pagans, disbelievers in the oneness of Allah. In the oneness of Allah. Seek your protection, then grant him protection. And then if not, it's it says that bad consequences. That that terrible that terrible verse of slay him. So mushrikeen is a really important concept. Shirk is a word in Arabic that means to equate anybody to God. So now it's open to interpretation. What does that mean? Just like you said earlier. Well, oneness of God can mean Krishna, can mean Durga, it can mean Shiva. You can, um, you can have that as a oneness. Or, but in their worldview, it is an equating of other entities to God. And so that is why they end up including, quote, polytheists, right? And pagans is really another word for even ex-Muslims, you know, but there's many other verses where they execute them. But this Muslim Brotherhood that President Obama is supporting, this is their belief system. But tell me one thing, to be yeah. very honest, and yeah. maybe this is politically not correct. Yeah. Christians in the early years were like that. The Christians also killed the pagans and the idolaters. Oh, the spread of Christianity oh, yes. was also against polytheists, idolaters, right. pagans. Right. So the spread of that's how when Emperor Constantine became Christian yeah. and the Romans, actually Romans took over Christianity. It was not a Roman thing. Yeah. Romans didn't, uh, Jesus was not a Roman. Romans had executed him. Yeah. Romans are the ones who killed him. Yeah. But later when the Roman emperor found it useful as a theocracy to spread his to control his empire and spread something this that they persecuted uh, all of these polytheists idolaters pagans etc so you want to hear what i did when i went to rome yeah i created my own heretics tour and i went to every place where the church has killed christians like they didn't even have to go outside the christian faith to kill people because they did kill christians of who course. didn't follow the church's mandate right and so this is what we have to each oppose in each of our faiths, you know, and in society. That's the conclusion I came. This is my battle because I'm a Muslim. And so, so but I in the case of Christianity, this. see, the, the, a lot of faiths have problems. Every yes. faith has problems. Yes. Every culture has problems. Every country, nobody's perfect. Yes. We were not made perfect. So uh, the, the difference is there are only two faiths that decided to go on a worldwide conquest, the Christians and the Muslims. Jews have these problems too, but they didn't go on a conquest. Yes. Hindus have these problems too. Hindus have got a lot of problems, but even when India was very strong and very powerful, right. did not go on a world conquest when it could have. They didn't have this uh, evangelical they mission. They didn't have this right. mission that God asked me to save you and, and fix and you and, and kick ass and tell you what to do. And right. if you don't do it right, I'm going to and that's do that's a really important I think, idea. I think, the, I think the difference between the person who's supposed to practice it for himself right. and the person who's supposed to impose it on others is, is a huge difference. And that is what has caused world 
conquests and you know all these ambitions yes because because the moment a person has this super ego that right. says i have the franchise from god right god gave me the franchise like the mcdonald's universal franchise that you run all the mcdonald's everywhere yeah. in the world it's that kind of a franchise mentality yeah. so christians and muslims went around claiming god's franchise competing against each other fighting the crusades and all that for market share right but each of them built on this aggressiveness that hey god told me to go and fix everybody else this evangelical mission has just undermined not only societies but people's lives because ultimately it has taken from people their own identity and and i say that um you know as somebody even in my family we know 14 generations ago that on my father's side our ancestor was named Thakur Suraj Singh a really great muslim name right Thakur Suraj Singh which state did he rule roughly where it, yes we know exactly where, where he lived we, he lived in village of bindwal outside of azamgarh in azamgarh district in uttar pradesh in uttar pradesh so 14 generations ago we know this story. you were hindus yes and what happened from your father's side yeah so your father must know the names and 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 um, importantly all the men's names all the women's names have been erased but what we knew the story is even told passed on that in this instance it was through the sufis that had arrived as saints preaching mystical islam that two brothers in this family converted to islam and two brothers remained hindu and so it's my mission to go with my father who's now 89 to village bindwal and find those families because so i want to talk want about to sufism that. also yes yes so now the question is there is a sufi foundation in india mm. and then there is a nawab somewhere in up who's the head of the sufi foundation right and he's got this nice big hair and very majestic very Weird. tall guy right. very, very handsome uh, uh more more kind of a westerner looking right. suit nice guy and he's a big figure all my hindu friends take me there the liberal hindus right and he's when he speaks everybody silent you know so i was taken once because there is this big sufi festival that happens once a year in january february in delhi and the who's who doesn't matter which political uh-huh. group there they all go there interesting and it's an all night type thing for several nights and great stuff and happens. they do chanting and, and all the sufi stuff yes. all the sufi stuff goes on qawali maybe qawali right and, famous people come and all that and all these people who are of throughout across the political spectrum they go there so i was invited to a special event to honor this guy who's head of the sufi festival so i i i guess i am known to be sometimes politically incorrect mm-hmm. so i asked him i said this is fantastic because he was talking about this this is the real islam oh interesting so that whole real islam this is right? the real islam <laughs> right, right. you know and this we sing and dance and we transcend and it's advait and it's oneness so i said instead of doing it in humayun's tomb which mm, is a tomb i went there yes which is a tomb i've been there why don't you do it in the in the uh, jama jama right. masjid mosque right and it'll become a world event right do it in, do it in kaaba right do it in a big and i pretended like i didn't know right because the music is banned yes okay yes. so so he was he knew that right. you knew he knew that i knew <laughs> right. and he knew that you know going in that direction is, right. so he wanted to change the subject you know time for drinks time for another samosa right. and the 
But this Hindus is... there were so stupid and naive, they didn't know what's going on. Right. Only he and I knew what's going on. Right. They're all into this business about it's all the same. Right. And I said, no, no, no. If it's all the same. Then go into your most sacred you should do into You should make an international. Right. Why Himayu's tomb, which is a graveyard. Right. Why not right. the Jama, Jama Masjid right. of Delhi. Yeah. Oh right. my goodness, the riots they would have. And, and why not Why not take it to the Saudis and tell them, right. hey, you know, next year we're going to do it over there. I'll, yeah. Infinity Foundation will sponsor it. So I said, I'm going to sponsor it. You yeah. guys organize the next Sufi festival in the mosque. Right. And you know, this guy was so pissed off at me. Yeah. He kept telling this hostess that this guy, you know, who is he and all. Oh my God. And so they never invited me back, of wow. course, which I knew. Because you dare to break the code. Because, but the real hypocrisy is this, if, if Sufism is either, Sufism is a new religion inspired by Islam, but different from Islam, you, and you can create new religions like, you know, these, uh, uh, the, the, the people who are, the, 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 uh, these uh, Shiites, uh, Ahmadiyyas are a new religion. Right. Okay, there's nothing wrong. You could have a new religion. Uh, so Sufis could claim that they are a new religion. But if they're saying that they are the authentic Islam, then they have to confront the issue. Right. Why is the authentic Islam blocking them from practicing their faith yeah. in the holy sites? Right. And do you know that in my mosque in Morgantown, West Virginia, where this <clears throat> Quran was put, we could not even have poetry night with, you know, the poet Rumi? Yes, of course. Beautiful. He's an example of a Sufi poet. But it's, we so couldn't even have Sufi. So I always bring out these kind of issues yes. which trouble me. These are the contradictions. Because that because I think that as honest people we have to face right. deal with these. It's okay for Muslims to say that look, Islam doesn't allow certain things that Sufism wants, but you know we are experimenting with it. We allow it outside the mosque. We allow it in our personal lives. Uh, uh, they could even say that. People who were Muslims developed Sufism not as part of Islam but as a kind of an extracurricular activity. Like you could yeah. play cricket and like that's not part of Islam necessarily. Yeah. But it's something you, you do. Yeah, because you know in my instance, like I believe in the uh, approach of Sufism. My family comes from that tradition. My daddy was practicing Sufism. But I have my identity within Sunni Islam because we have to conquer the, you know, very dangerous interpretations within Sunni Islam and Shia Islam that are corrupt and illiberal and lack any kind of So humanity. do you think that, that the two things we've discussed so far that are pathways towards reform, one is Muslim feminist movement. Yes. You are one of the leaders. And the other is Sufism as something they wants to find its way in, inside the mosque and confront the people who won't let it in the door. Yes. That confrontation has to happen. It does. At some point it has to happen. It has to happen. And then what we were talking about is unfortunately when President Obama comes in, he doesn't invite that confrontation. Instead, he accepts the 
very illiberal ideas of the Islamists, as we call them, the political Muslims. And you know, they even come up with like fancy words because they all do this tap dance. They say, they're not, there's the violent Islamists and then there's the quiet Islamists. And I'm like, no, when you're denied your human right, like let's just say you're gay and you want to live a free life and you're not allowed to do that, that's not quiet. That's not quiet to crush somebody or, or you're a woman and you want to work and you don't want to cover your hair. And they say, no, you can't go out in public like this. That's not quiet. That's aggressive and violent really on a person's life. But there we had it in the first term of the Obama administration. And they are in this unholy alliance now with the Muslim Brotherhood. And we're where are they getting opportunities now to come in the United States? Places like Georgetown University, Harvard University, because folks like these academics like Akbar Ahmed say, because of Islamophobia, we shouldn't criticize them. So they start using race, that concept that you were telling everybody about earlier, critical race theory, they start using race as a shield do you, do you to think, stop do you the think, criticism. Do you think one of the issues is white guilt? Oh, yes. And so white guilt, to, to manage white guilt, uh, this is an opportunity, a door has been opened to get in the door because of white guilt and bring this radical Islam in. Yes. Along, with, along with Black Lives Matter, along with the whole leftist movement, Islam is getting in the door. Right. They used race in order to racialize Muslims. Like, we're not one race. We can be white. We can be Asian. In fact, one of the positive things in Islam, I yeah. found, is, is it's a very eclectic in terms of uh, race is concerned. Yeah. It's supposed to be. It's supposed right? to be. And now what they did is they turned all Muslims into a race, even though they are some of the worst bullies in the American Muslim community have names like Ibrahim Hooper, whose name was Carrie Hooper once, and Jonathan Brown, all these white male converts who have become Muslim and now use Islamophobia to pre pretend like it's a criticism of their race as Muslims to oppose their very illiberal ideas. Like this guy Jonathan Brown is one example. He is running a center at Georgetown University called the Christian Muslim Understanding, Center for Christian Muslim Understanding. And the name in front of it is the Prince Bin Talal Center because the Saudis funded it. And this man named Jonathan Brown runs it. And what does Jonathan Brown preach? He went to 500 Grove Street, that address I told you about, and he literally preached the worst interpretation from the Quran that sex slaves are permissible. Hmm. Yeah, because these people do not believe that you move forward in time. They stay stuck. That's their worldview. That's why they're, quote, orthodox, because they're stuck in the seventh century. And they don't say like 21st century, it's illegal. And that's how Islamic State emerged in Iraq, right? getting the Yazidi women as sex slaves because they used verses in the Quran that say that you can have a sex slave. And that's when I just, I was, I felt my personal betrayal with the Obama administration because I don't know if you remember, 
President Obama going in front of the pulpit of the, the White House saying that the Islamic State is not Islamic, you know, that there was no Islam in the Islamic State. And I just wanted to shake him because... Protecting I'm, Islam, yeah, protecting yeah. Orthodox Islam. Protecting the extremists. Yeah, by, by kind of uh, taking the extremists and saying that they're really not doing it because of Islam, when in fact that's what they claim they're doing. Yeah, and you know your alma mater, UNC Chapel Hill? Oh, it's one of the most radical places now. It is, exactly. Do you remember the speechwriter that worked for President Obama? He's a graduate of UNC Chapel Hill, Ben Rhodes. So he's what you would give as an example, a white liberal. He just fell right in with these Islamists like Akbar Ahmed, this other guy from Iran, Reza Aslan. Uh, UNC, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know these horrible guy. Horrible, you know. So it's so illiberal. Omid Safi, he taught at UNC Chapel Hill. He became one of my worst enemies because I kept challenging the, this interpretation and he ended up writing an article, oh, Asra, she's such an Islamophobe. So then I became an Islamophobe too. And that's the joke about these people is that they use it as a weapon you know, and it's so transparent, but then unfortunately, because of the liberal guilt and all of the money that they're pumping into places like the Democratic Party, they are, you know, overwhelming any of us who want to argue common sense. So really what we have is, a, is a, an alliance of three, not two, and then we'll talk in the next episode about more than three, but the left blacks and Muslims. It's three. And the, the very unfortunate, you know, I have always been a civil rights activist. You know, I have, I have been supporting uh, when George Floyd thing happened, I supported the Black Lives Matter movement, I funded it. Oh, but yes. The blacks, the left, leftist Muslim alliance, Islamo left, leftism, immediately hijacked right. the black Lives Matter movement. And you, you remember the Women's March? Mm. So the Women's March had as one of its, um, uh, its co-founders this woman here, Linda Sarsour. She's a Palestinian-American activist living in Brooklyn. And she's here with two uh, other activists. One of them is black and the other one is of Mexican heritage. They became the face of the resistance to Donald Trump in 2016. And what they did is they put an American flag hijab on one of the pictures in order to show it's exactly what you're wow. saying. Exactly. It's exactly that. The, the black the, activist the facade, movement yeah. Yeah, with the leftists, with the Islamists. And who did they ban? They banned the Jewish pro-Israel feminists. I, they would have probably banned the Hindu feminists, you know, who believe in, in, in India as a state, but they weren't there yet. But today they probably would. But, you know, look at their, look at their, um, the, this is their little yearbook that they created, Together We Rise. And from this, they went, exactly like you said, they went to the street corner where George Floyd was killed. 
Before that, they had gone to Ferguson, Missouri, and now their new chant was from Ferguson to Gaza. So this is how they connected all that you're talking about, exactly. And it's so dangerous because one, it's contradictory, and but most importantly, it's illiberal. You know, all of these ideas, because they, they are about tyranny, they're about denial of real equality and real human rights. So this is a, this is a, there's a lot we've covered. Uh, uh, about the uh, arrival of uh, the the emergence of the Islamo leftism in Europe and then in the United States, uh, and then the how it becomes turns into a three-way alliance, uh, and, and now it's a kind of a grouping of people with grievances against the establishment. Right, right. wound collectors. It's wound collectors. Right. I have a wound. I have wounds because of this. You right. have this. We're all. Forget our differences and work towards a common enemy. Forget the fact that there's a contradiction yeah. in what you stand for and what I stand for, because there's a bigger enemy to fight, a bigger, you know, ultimate devil we have to fight. Yeah. So this is what where the world is headed, and uh, the mo- the worst thing of all this is the the cancel culture which says right. you cannot talk about it. Right. So you'll be called Islamophobic or something yeah. like that if you talk about it. So which means that denial of free speech. Means that radicalism, yeah. dogma, you'll be taught by some high priests. So it's you're backed into some kind of a it's a new religion, this kind of a thing. Yeah. And these new theocrats, the high priests of this religion, are going to stuff it down your throat and your children. Right. So that's where we are. Yeah, it is a dictatorship. And what I really encourage everybody to recognize is that if you believe in those fundamental ideas that we talked about at the very beginning human rights, women's rights, equal rights, free speech. Just ask yourself whether these movements promote that or do they actually promote inequality, injustice, cancellation of people? Because those, it's just a question of values, you know, and what values are you going to really advocate in this world? And I hope everybody is on our side on this one because it seems so clear-cut to me and it's only intimidation and bullying that could ever convince somebody to go on the other side. You know, there's so much to talk about and we are going to continue because this is a mini-series. We've had only two episodes and we have more to happen, more, more to come. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll continue some of these ideas, develop them even further. In the next episode. You can't even believe the show and tell I'm going to bring to you for the next show. And tune in for the next show, all of you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.